On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we go into week one, which is exciting. We talk about the NFL with a legitimate sports media personality who knows something about betting, our good friend Rob P. Rufus joins us midway through the podcast after fresh off. Well, he actually joins us during the game, which is was unwelcome, um, but he still joined us. And with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is... Welcome to another very special, and what I mean by special is the way that people are PC when they try to use the word special episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where Rufus is at the Orioles game finishing up. And we kind of have a tight schedule this week, and we want to get you some content. So we wanted to go to the the best in the business uh, as far as uh, picks go or or knowing the NFL. Uh, we couldn't get him, so instead we got Rob Pizzola. So <laughs> the first question, welcome, Rob, of course, as always. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, first question I have for you is, why do you want Rufus to throw a baseball through my window? So you just happen to be like – the guy that I associate with Rufus that there just had to be someone to be the brunt of that joke. Okay. And, and like, I, I could, it was either between you or Rufus's brother, Tom, but I've met Tom before. I just don't know how he would handle that type of joke. Whereas I know you would have known it was uh, a joke and been able to take it. So I don't know. I kind of like envisioned that you were like sitting home with a couple bourbons and like real feelings were coming out. So I was, I was a little worried. That was not the case. I just, uh, it, it was like a layup. And sometimes I, I like to make those terrible jokes on Twitter, especially. And you're, you're just guilty by association, I would say. It was, you were the first guy that came to mind. I don't feel so bad then. Um, so let's start with, this is the first week of the NFL season. And I assume that you are gearing up for this big time, right? How do you know how good these teams are right now? Like, what's your process by starting to actually power rank these guys or, or create any kind of metrics for them? Well, I'll start by saying, I mean, I, I really don't know anything, right? I mean, obviously, you know this as well, but I have a general idea of what I think a team is going to be, but each t- team is going to have a range. Uh, I do think probabilistically. So I, I try to avoid getting into the, like, this team is going to be really good there's a high likelihood that I think a team might be good or bad or, or perform above or below market expectations, but I don't really know anything. Um, so, you know, I'll start there. Uh, I do run a player level model. It's based off of a variety of different inputs, um, which, I mean, I don't really want to get into exactly what those are. Um, and then, you know, all sorts of other factors like age, um, what kind of style of, of offense a team will run, what kind of style of defense a team will run, so on and so forth. Um, and then I get to my power ratings. But, you know, when I when I handicap games or when I'm betting from a week-to-week basis, I'm not really using my power ratings per se. It's more of a this team versus that team. Um, I've talked about this before, but I think a lot of people just – 
end up living and dying by their ratings. And I think that that's wrong. I think there's just a lot of scenarios where one team is better suited against a certain type of opponent and will struggle against other types of opponents. So I really try to break down the matchups more on a team A versus team B rather than, okay, this is the power rating for each team. This is what I think the spread would be type of thing. Got it. So you do a bottoms up model, huh? I do. I mean, it's challenging. There's pros and cons to everything. Like I often wonder if I need to put in the amount of work that I actually put into NFL, or if it's just making like a marginal difference where I I end up, you know, essentially wasting time. Obviously time is valuable, um, but this process works for me. It's worked for me for several years. uh, And if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I think probably just makes a very minimal impact. And in the grand scheme of things, I could probably save myself hour upon hour, not, you know, struggling, you know, accounting for it. Um, But ultimately that's the way I think that sports need to be modeled nowadays is at, at the player level, bottom up. Interesting. Um, I know you don't want to give away too much, but I'm interested in, in what do you model ever is every player part of it or is it just small, like, Yeah. So every player that um, I think has a possibility to play in the game. So the one thing that takes me the most time is probably um, there's a, there's like manual inputs I have to put in on a weekly basis, um, which I haven't figured out a way to like automate this in any way yet, but how often I think a team is going to run uh, or pass the ball, what they would do in certain situations. It's there's a level of complexity that's probably just way overboard. Um, but again, it's just been a process for me. I I, en- I enjoy doing it, and that allows me to continue doing it. But yes, on uh, <laughs> you know, I, the, the the model cannot run without my own inputs on a weekly basis. Let's put it that way. If I were to go away, or if I you know am gone completely, someone else can step in and manually take over some stuff but i there's like an element that i like to have control over so there's a a bit of a manual process and then everything after that is automated is that manual process subjective uh yes got it interesting um so what are what are your thoughts going into this year like are there are there some trends that you've seen as you've run numbers where you think you differ than the market like what what popped out to you in week one? Yeah. So like, I'll I'll say there's a a few things that have been interesting for me this week because, um, you know, generally speaking, I think I'm high or low on certain teams going into the year. And then the week one numbers start to move around as they have in the last couple of days. And I'll be like, well, it's very interesting because a team that I thought I was really high on uh, heading into the year, I actually would be playing against them in week one, um, which I've, I've found intriguing. We've seen several market moves. Uh, I think it was Fezzik that tweeted that like, oh, all the lines have been bet into place. It's going to be a very slow week. We're not going to see much. And pretty much half the board has moved significantly already. Um, so he was kind of dead wrong about that. But I, I found that really interesting. Teams that I, I thought I would be betting on early in the season or fading early in the season, just based off of win totals I played, um, or where I, I figured like where I ended up relative to their season win total, uh, I actually re- running week one numbers. I'll give an example, but like, I can't get to the, I'm high on the saints going into the year. I can't get to the saints price against Atlanta in week one. 
uh, and I'm pretty neutral on Atlanta relative to market. So um, I found that to just be like one example, but there's, there's been a few more this week where um, that's what's been most interesting to me because typically that hasn't happened to me in past seasons. So some of that, and at least in the Atlanta situation, could just be that the market is, um, well, actually, no. So if the market is low on Atlanta, then theoretically the number that you have on, you, sh- you should be able to, you can't get to what the market is saying. So the market is lower in Alabama, um, lower in Atlanta. Right. I mean, there's lots of things that could factor into it too. Like I, I just know from my inner circle uh, of people that I deal with pretty regularly, like we all do very different things for home field advantage in the NFL. That could just be. Rufus celebrating an Orioles win tonight <laughs> to avoid the sweep is the most classic. Hey, guess what? Guess what, Rob? Guess what? There is tomorrow. There is a fourth game in the series because. The Blue Jays needed a doubleheader despite an off day on Thursday. Explain that to me. Well, whenever you you're... yourself. Yeah, I mean... Let's I, mute yourself. Mute yourself. All right. I'm, you know what? Hey. Bob, you, you... I mean, all the respect in the world except for the people that you root for. I have a lot of respect for you. Maybe not the Blue Jays players. Um, but... I should have made Tom the I should have made Tom the brunt of the the baseball joke, not you, Jeff. I apologize in hindsight. And and I want to apologize to the listeners because the game should have ended before now, but there was some rain delight, and the fact that the the Blue Jays starting pitcher managed to walk and hit a lot of batters and make the game go very slowly. So. you know, I mean, I can't like Rob has more impact over that than I do, or his team does. So I'm sorry about that. Anyway, I'll let you guys get back to it. Thank you, Rufus. What happens if this ends up being the highest like listened to episode of Bet the Process ever, with Rufus not appearing in the vast majority of it? He just did a Rufus moment, I right? Can, I can continue to appear. I am. Why don't, why don't you mute right until you until you're a place where you can actually have an intelligent conversation, which by the sounds of it, you may never be tonight, but that's okay. Oh, dude. Uh, can I just say, first off, because of the magic of scooters, which credit to Adam Bjorn for his uh, recommendation on that, um, I can, I will be in a place with complete silence within 15 minutes. Actually, I could probably make it. Great. We look, we look forward yeah. to that. We'll okay. still be podcasting. Okay. So yourself. Okay. I'll see you then, guys. Bye. Okay, don't hang up because all of a sudden we lose you then. Do you think he'll be able to reverse the eight beers he's drank tonight as well? That's, that's he's getting to I'm a quiet saying. place. <clears throat> um, three beers, three beers. <laughs> if, if you sound like that Oriole after three fan beers. Energy. <laughs> Oriole fan energy. Okay. As you were saying, Rob. Yes. What was I saying? Oh, I was talking about um, preseason expectations versus week one numbers. Um, but so, yeah. I mean, like, it could just be a matter of somebody doing home field very differently that um, can trigger a market move. And then, you know, the number doesn't go far enough for someone else to want to play back on it. Like, I'm not too enticed by getting five and a half with Atlanta, maybe six. I'm more interested and other people would be interested. But um, stuff like that is just like everybody does things in a different way. Um 
maybe somebody's more matchup driven as well for this one specifically where they think that their saints have um, a very exploitable matchup. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just interesting to me that we have all this time, um, you know, NFL win totals by the time we get to this week, it's not like there are tiny limits. Like you can bet a decent pop on an NFL win total this week. Uh, but the week one numbers, I think if you were to plug those in, they wouldn't necessarily reflect um, the same quote unquote power ratings for, for teams heading into the year. Have you ever, have you ever looked at Chris, like uh, sharper books totals compared to the, um, you know, more mainstream or, or more square books and like uh, try to understand why, like, you know, because, Chris will move their totals and, and the VIG and the prices quite a bit versus moving the numbers. And it would be interesting. Maybe we could get some of the Chris people on and maybe they talk a little bit about the philosophy behind that, but I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the philosophy behind that, I guess. Yeah, I think like, uh, so I do, I mean, I, I look at every book. I, I always set up my odd screen with all the sharper books, um, you know, on one side, all the more recreational on another. And I do notice the differences between them. Um, like I first noticed many years ago, um, you know, Pinnacle was, uh, I guess, like kind of the first book with the true teaser protection, or at least that's what I noticed where they would just have like all these nut, they would move straight from like seven and a half to nine and a half or 10, something like that. They wouldn't even give you the opportunity to be able to, to play a Wong teaser at like the eight and a half number type of stuff. So I have noticed this stuff over the years. You do tend to see some like real funky ones every now and then where you get like the main market being traded is super high VIG for some reason, like a minus three, minus 35, instead of moving to three and a half. I actually don't know why that's the case, um, but it definitely, I mean, even looking at the board now, like you, you see a, a few of them stand out. So, I mean, it, it still happens pretty regularly. In terms of the Wong teaser, why don't you just explain to people what that is, if we have any new listeners? Yeah. So typically speaking, um, I think Stanford Wong was actually just an alias for the person who came up with it. Um, but it's a, a he Stanford Wong. He's kind of a legendary blackjack player and wrote a book on it. Right. That's his, um, that's his like pseudonym though. I don't think that's his real name. It's right. His, I think it, I think it was a, an alias, but, um, he wrote a book. It would have been, uh, I'm just, I'm spitballing here, but I would have been probably in the early two thousands, uh, which was kind of like a mathematical look at teasers. And when you do want to, when you do play teasers, you typically want to uh, tease through as many key numbers as possible. Uh, in the NFL, three and seven are your biggest key numbers. So typically, what you'd want to do is take a favorite in the range of seven and a half, eight and a half, uh, something like that. Tease them down through seven and three to maximize the value of that teaser. Conversely you take an underdog that's a very small underdog one and a half to two and a half points and you tease them up to seven and a half or eight and a half uh, maximizing the value of the three and the seven there as well and generally speaking you're going to want to look for games with lower totals because that makes those points worth even more so it's a mathematical way to play teasers uh, it's very difficult to find books that will give you fair prices on teasers nowadays. They're, they're sort of obsolete. You can find a few here and there, but um, that's what the Wong teaser is. And by, by good prices, you're saying minus 110 on each, on, for, for something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So there are, you can get six point teasers, a lot of places at minus 120, but um, for in a, in a Wong tease at minus 120, do you think that's just about break even? Right. And then what ends up happening is now you got to really read the house rules of wherever you're playing your books, because you'll have some books that will uh, be ties lose 
um, on the teaser, which essentially is costing yourself a half point on the teaser. So all this stuff ends up mattering. It's just, it, I mean, it's still the optimal way to play a teaser. Um, your, your key numbers are, are like shifting a little bit in the NFL as time goes by, but three and seven are still by far um, your two most popular. So uh, still a plus EV teaser if you can find the minus 110, but um, I don't know of many spots that, that exist with that anymore. Well, if they do ties lose and you or ties ties uh, lose and you manage to be on the half point, it wouldn't matter either, right? Correct. But if you take like an eight down to a two, or or a two, you rarely see a two point spread in the NFL, but taking a two up to an eight, then you're essentially costing yourself a, a little bit there. So we're we're seeing a two. Can I add something, guys? Yes. While I'm on the scooter, if I don't crash, I would like to tell you that. What like if you like a game where you like an underdog in the one and a half two and a half point range, like in another underdog in that same range, or another favorite in the eight and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half point range, like you're going to be better off even at like minus one ten, one twenty, probably teasing than playing them straight. So a lot of times it's good if you have a lean on the play, or if you like a play already. Would you agree, Rob? I do agree with that. Yes, that's interesting. I like it. Um, how about sort of this, this going into this week, did you watch preseason? Does preseason matter to you at all? Uh, I watched preseason. I bet preseason, uh, I was out in Vegas for the final week of preseason. So I had a bunch of stuff there. I did a bunch of second half stuff as well. Uh, does it, does it matter to me? I, I can't say that it does. I think a lot of people generally overreact to preseason. Rufus mute. So did you glean any insights from preseason this year? Um, there has been research. Wait, Rob, there has been research showing that preseason, like I think the same people like that wrote an MIT Sloan paper on how it matters for baseball has shown that it does matter for football in a way. I haven't looked at this personally, so, but this is what I've heard. So. The, pro- the problem being that preseason's changing in the NFL. Like you have one less week now. You had have had entire preseasons where, um, like an entire preseason where a starting quarterback doesn't play at all. It, it's I like to keep on top of things. There are some things that you may notice from preseason. Overall, I'll say it has extremely minimal impact in how I'm preparing for regular season. And I do think that oftentimes. Um, you know, it's really hard to separate what's actually valuable from fluff. Um, I'm very, I'm predominantly news driven in preseason. If you're to follow every beat writer in the um, Twitter sphere for these teams, you're not really going to get an accurate reflection of how things are actually coming out of camp and so on and so forth. So uh, I think it's just inherently challenging to filter through a bunch of stuff that's happening. Um, Some coaches, in my opinion, actually care about the preseason others don't um all this stuff when you're trying to parse it i think just ends up adding an added degree of complexity that's not really gaining much of an advantage got it um how about going into the season what are what are you you mentioned new orleans i know you don't want to give away too much but are there are there other teams where you feel like you're looking to ride or fade going into week one? Yeah, so um, there's a bunch. So as I go through the list here, I'd say that I was probably highest on Philly 
of most of the teams. Um, market also really agreed with me on that. Mm-hmm. I still think Philly might be a little bit undervalued as well. Um, I was, you know, and where, where is that? Where is that coming? Cause I've heard this narrative. I mean, uh, Simmons, I don't know if you ever listened to him, but Simmons is really big on Philly this year. Um, you know, I think he often, one of the reasons I listen to his podcast is he is a great bell, bellwether of what sort of the, the common folks are thinking, I guess. Yep. And uh, it's interesting because he's, he was definitely saying Philly was his team also. I so like the Eagles are, are challenging for me because I'm not a fan of their quarterback. And a lot of people always say to me like, oh, how, how can you predict the Eagles to go so far uh, if you're not a fan of Jalen Hurts? Like I have Jalen Hurts as the 20th best quarterback to start on opening day for the NFL this year. Um, people can feel free to agree or disagree. The rest <clears throat> of the roster is, is stacked. I mean, they have, in my opinion, a bona fide top five O-line in the league could arguably say the best O-line in the league. Um, One of the best receiving cores, especially when you include their tight end, Dallas Goddard, who I think is a hidden gem. Uh, Defensive front seven, strong. Secondary, strong. Like to me, the only weak point is at quarterback. And I do think that despite the fact that I don't like Hertz, I do think he has upside with this type of offense. Uh, Typically in the past, the knock on Hertz would be that he's kind of like a one-read guy. And then he starts to roll out to his right usually. And the play typically breaks down, chucks up a lot of balls downfield. Now, when you add AJ Brown, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, you're getting one of those guys one-on-one when you break the pocket. Um, I think he has a pretty decent opportunity for success in that offense. So uh, I think the bar is, you know, pretty high for the Eagles this year. Uh, don't know about the coaching staff. That could be a, a legitimate concern. There's obviously the age of their both their offensive and defensive line. I think that's legitimately concerning as well because they had a lot of injuries last year. Um, and I, I think a lot of people go into this year and they're like, oh, you're like way overvaluing this or this when it comes to the Eagles. It's like, okay, well, they actually had a ton of players out of the lineup for the majority of last season. So I don't think I am overvaluing all. I think it's just, a, a, it's one of the teams in the league with the fewest weekly tend to do perform pretty well. So if you... Um... <clears throat> go back to this uh, concept of coaches, right? Cause you mentioned coaching. How, how do you quantify that? Cause as you were talking about the, the saints and you being higher than the market, one of the things that occurred to me was maybe the, the coaching aspect, right? Mm. I think a lot of people are, are, are thinking that the loss of Sean Payton will be really big. Yeah. I, I think so too. Like I'm not sold on Dennis Allen. Um, a lot of people will just recite Dennis Allen's career coaching record with, like the Raiders in the early 2010s, where, I mean, I don't know how much better he could have done with those rosters, frankly, but uh, that's probably, I mean, the, the Saints have a huge degree, uh, a huge range of what they can be, in my opinion, because you have a relative unknown as a coach or someone who has not fared well at the NFL level with a quarterback who has had a propensity to turn the ball over whenever he started. Uh, but a lot of other good pieces there, especially the defensive line, which in my opinion uh, is arguably the best defensive line in the entire league. So they, they to me have a very wide range of what they can be. Um, you know, you talk to Rufus and actually we've talked about this before Jeff about priors in the NFL. Um, and I think Rufus typically stays on his priors a lot more than I do. I'd be more willing to adjust the saints 
based off of their early season performance, just because of the uncertainty that I have on them going into the year. Um, so, I mean, I think it matters. I think you look at a team like the Vikings, for example, that I'm high on. I think that's just like an addition by subtraction in terms of coaching. Um, not sure what Kevin O'Connell is going to be. I'm fairly certain that they'll pass the ball more on early downs. Um, I'm fairly sure, certain that they'll pass the ball more in situations where they're leading later on in games relative to Mike Zimmer, who is a very conservative coach. Uh, and I believe cost them a ton in win expectancy, especially in the fourth quarter in close games. So um, there's, there's no like exact science to this. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I think like anyone who's just completely dismissing coaching is probably doing things wrong. So how, how do you, how do you plug it in? Is it, is that one of your subjective factors or is there actually like literally something that you rate with metrics? Uh, it's, it's convoluted. Um, so I start with the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for each team, try to figure out what they're going to, what type of offense they're going to run. A lot of that is news driven. Uh, I do spend a lot of the summer uh, just keeping up with teams, pretty much consuming any piece of information uh, that's out there in regards to how a team um, might run things. And then there is a subjective factor at the end of it, which, um, you know, is ultimately what's going to have my models model produce uh, the outputs that it does. So uh, it's, it's probably more subjective than actually um, uh, data driven. Um, so is there, is there an offensive coordinator that you are really excited to see, like that you have very high expectations for, and you're excited to see what he does? Um, Matt Patricia? No. Well, so here's the thing, like the Patriots thing, right? I get why people are down on them. They had a bad preseason. Uh, I don't really love their personnel, especially on defense. I think for many years, the Patriots defense would largely bail out the offense um, in situations where the offense couldn't get it going or so on and so forth. I'm, I refuse to believe though, that Bill Belichick is just like winging this going into the year. It's like, yeah, we don't know who's going to call plays. Like I, I, I feel like just having watched the NFL and consuming the NFL for as much of my life as I have and Belichick being around for so long, like this is what the guy does regularly like he doesn't give the media anything he's never upfront or and honest like they're going into the season with a very distinct plan on what they're going to do uh, and they typically don't give away much in preseason so i think there's a little bit of an overreaction there i'm not high like super high on the patriots i, I do think that they're going to have a down year i think you're obviously seeing like you've seen the correction in the market over the course of the summer where new england did have a higher win total than miami that's flipped you look at week one um, Miami got steamed today to three and a half point favorite. I think they're still around three and a half or, or pretty heavily juiced threes at sports books as well, at least the sharper ones. So, um, you know, you, you've seen the negative sentiment to, towards new England. I just, you know, not necessarily buying that they're going to be going into the year. Like, you know, Belichick's just winging it like that doesn't logically makes absolutely no sense to me. So you do, what do you think of that line at three and a half now? It, it, it seems like it's kind of, and, and it probably will go higher, I would guess, right? doesn't seem like there's a lot of resistance to that. So you could wait and get a four, four and a half on New England, which seems like a lot given 
priors, right? Rufus, I would assume that your numbers, you probably like New England there, right? Now that you're back with us. Uh, well, I haven't thought of that spreadsheet yet, but that was pretty quick, wasn't it? That was quick. From I told you, scooters are the like the future. Uh, I've I've uh, I scootered around in in Israel pre-COVID a few years ago. It was absolutely electric. I loved those scooters, man. They get up to like, sorry, fifteen miles an hour. I was gonna say thirty kilometers an hour for me, which is uh, yeah, I was I was ripping it on the beachfront. Fantastic. I mean, I, I so so I have New England is one point two points better than the league average team, for whatever that's worth. And what do you have Miami? Like, what do you make that line? Um, point seven points worse than a league average team. But this is the Massey Peabody ratings, so we are not accounting for personnel changes outside of quarterback, basically. So, if you think Tyreek Hill's worth something, you might think we're low. Personally, I do like we have done, Kate and I have done a lot of research over the years on positional value stuff. And we think we, we kind of disagree with pro football focus on the value of wide receivers. I think um, we think wide receivers are generally not particularly, I don't want to say valuable, but they're, they're more replaceable as a position. And a lot of the value of a wide receiver or the perceived value, I should say, comes from the quarterback in the system. And so I think, especially when you have a wide receiver coming from a team where he played really well and had a really good quarterback, it's hard to know how that's going to translate. Fair enough. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more towards the pro football focus side of things with wide receivers. Um, I do think that you bring up a good point. I think it's especially difficult to quantify a receiver's value when he goes team to team, uh, especially when you look at someone like Tyree Kill, who's going from the GOAT. Um, no, nah, he's not the goat. Brady's the goat, but what, you know, an elite quarterback to um, someone who, I mean, has upside, but has not shown much at the NFL level. That's difficult. I think, so I I'll, I'll share this. I shouldn't share this stuff, but I make Miami uh, 0.9 points better than a league average team. And I make new England 0.1 worse. Now, that doesn't mean you can just take the power rating where it's a one point difference, apply home field, and you're going to get a number on the game. Like I mentioned earlier, I think that Miami has an extremely exploitable matchup here with their speed receivers. They have, they've set up like a very, very fast offense and new England to me, the secondary is a huge concern, especially the fact that I think that they have slow corners. So, um, I, I still couldn't bet Miami at this number. Well, what about I, their safeties? Well, I mean, it all matters. The whole entire secondary is going to matter. Right. I mean, but I think when you say like corners, I mean, I mean, it's like, I mean, think of like Diggs last year for the Cowboys and the fact that all like, you know, people say, oh, you know, he got burned for this many yards and all that. But like how many of that was man coverage and how many, how much of that was zone or yeah. how, how fewer Jeff, tell me which, which, not which uh, word I'm supposed to use. No, no, you're right. But like there, there's, there's more to it than that. Right. Like Diggs is a, um, He's a top corner. He's a number one corner. He's going to be left without safety coverage a lot more than other corners, uh, typically speaking. So, I mean, there, there's a ton. This is what this is what makes sports betting, not just the NFL, but sports betting, great as a whole. Is you can have so many different perspectives on something. You can kind of go down the rabbit hole with something that you think is valuable. Whereas, like. And this is no disrespect to Rufus in any way, but he might say something where it's like, oh, have you looked into this? And in my head, I'll think like, 
I'd rather spend my time doing something like this. All these questions with NFL, it's very difficult, right? We don't, we have data points. We like, we know the result of the play. We know who is on the field, so on and so forth. But um, it's still like with each passing year, the data becomes better and better. And we start to learn more and more. And, you know, we'll probably revisit this conversation 10 years from now and be like, what the hell were we talking about? But uh, as it stands right now, there's just so many ways that someone can handicap or set a number on an NFL game. And Rob, I agree. I mean, I think like the way I did things back in 2010, 2011, you know, I'd say the early 2010s, um, got, there were, there was a lot of alpha to be had there just at the team level, because there wasn't the data at the player level yet. And now it's, it's, you know, it's hard to win that way, to be honest. And I don't think you can strictly speaking. Right. Okay. Uh, other themes, we covered the Philadelphia Eagles theme. What about the, your hometown or almost hometown team, your, your, your Buffalo Bills, are they overrated or are they properly rated? Well, I, I think, I think they're properly rated in terms of, I think they're the best team in the league going into the season. Um, with that said, like they're getting an absurd amount of love to win the Super Bowl. I think I saw that they were below four to one at a lot of books today in terms of winning the Super Bowl, which is like, now we're getting into like, I don't want to say crazy territory, but it's not like the Buffalo Bills don't have some concerns going into the year. Like they should not be favored in my opinion um, or priced more heavily than some other teams from past years. Um, they're, they're 11 and 16 last year. So I get it. They have Josh Allen, you know, great quarterback, a little bit of a down year last year relative to the year before, but still great quarterback, uh, great wide receiving core offensive line. That's where some people seem to think that they might have some concerns. Personally, I'm not all concerned about that. Uh, I think they're really good at, at left and right tackle with Deion Dawkins and uh, David Quisenberry. The interior is not great, but I think it should hold up just fine. But you have a team that is going to a new offensive coordinator that creates a lot of uncertainty with the team, right? Uh, who's to say how much of an effect Brian Dayball had on that offense relative to Ken Dorsey, who's coming in there this year. I think that's a legitimate talking point and something that would concern me about Buffalo. I'd also be very concerned about their secondary to start the year. Um, they have a rookie, Kyrie Elam, who I think they was Florida's corner that they drafted uh, late in the first round, starting as one of their starting corners going into the year. Um, Safety is great for them, but cornerback is a legitimate concern if Tredavious White is out. So uh, I love, I like the Bills. I think they're solid. Um, I think they deserve to be favored to win the Super Bowl. Are we getting into overpriced territory? Yeah, I think I think that's where we're at right now. So are they overpriced in week one? I mean, if you had to make me pick that game or bet that game, I'd probably pick the Rams at the current market price, but it would be not something that I would be, you know, lining up to bet. Like, you know, if the bills do get to three, then I'm going to have a decision on my hands. Uh, you know, two and a half, Chris, two and a half circa two and a half penny. Um, it's pretty settled at where it is right now. Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of just a pass for me. So Rob, like, let's say for someone who doesn't have a technical approach as much, um, like more of a recreational better. 
how much are the narratives, how much do you think these narratives drive the lines early in the season? And how much do you think they are maybe, as in the case of Buffalo, as you've said, maybe overpricing a team, especially at the top? Well, I, I think like there's a, not only just like the recreational, but I also do think like the media in because they're influencing the recreational, right? So yeah. if, if you think about Buffalo going into this year, people just cannot stop talking about how they should have beat the Chiefs in Kansas City last year. Like they should have won that game. 13 seconds left. The Bills should have won. They would have easily beat Cincinnati. They would have easily beat the Rams. This is what people are spinning their head, right? Now, they probably would have beat Cincinnati. They probably would have beat the Rams. We don't speak in certainties when it comes to the NFL, but they lost the game to the Chiefs. It was a very even game. They got unlucky on a coin flip in overtime. And, and you know, if it, if they win the coin flip, they, they probably win the game. But, I mean, they lost the game. Like, people talk about, like, they were they, – they, it, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that uh, because they were this close to beating the Chiefs last year – uh, and should have won it that, you know, this is the year. And I don't know, I, I like NFL season, there's just so much that, that happens. I, I would be concerned about the bills depth in the secondary, the bills depth on the offensive line, especially the interior and somewhat concerned about the offense as a whole. Like it, the personnel looks great on paper, but I do think that you, anytime you switch offensive coordinators and you're coming off of multiple years of success with that offensive coordinator, I think it's fair to have some sort of concern about how they're going to run the offense. Um, so I, I like people listen to this and be like, oh, Pizzola hates Buffalo or whatever. I don't hate Buffalo. I think Buffalo is very, very good football team. I'd pick them to win on a neutral over any team in the league right now. I just think that we've gotten to the point where people are, are crowning them champions before the season even starts. And it's not like a team that, um, you know, I think is deserving of, of the price tag right now. Okay. Uh, other things you're looking at in week one that jump out at you. Um, what about some of these big line moves, right? We've had, you referenced them, but we've had the Ravens steam. Um, we've had, uh, um, San Francisco steam a little bit. Um, who else did I say here? Kansas. It was, yeah, KC was a big one. Uh, Miami, uh, the, the uh, Texans today, a little bit. We've seen some totals. I mean, Denver, I could talk about Denver, a lot of this. Baltimore, sorry, Denver and Baltimore. The, the Baltimore Jets one is going to be interesting because it actually seems like Zach Wilson is on track to being the starter, even though it was thought that he wouldn't be the starter for this week. And I'm curious which way the market is going to go, or if there is even a move when Zach Wilson potentially gets announced as the starter. How much do you think Zach Wilson is worth over Jeff Flacco? So I think they're both awful for one, but in different ways. So like Flacco is going to throw nothing but five yard passes for the duration of the entire game. As we've seen him in, in all the backup roles he's had over the last half decade that's what he's going to do he's going to come in it's not the big arm flacco that people remember back in the day chucking it up down the field drawing a pass interference penalty this is dink and dunk flacco and then other teams are just going to play closer to the line of scrimmage and it's going to be a disaster whereas zach wilson is going to air it out a little bit more but he's going to commit like four turnovers 
it, it's just a, a, a walking disaster. Now, well, why don't we get Mike White? Because Mike White is also terrible. We should get Chris Trevler, the the Canadian football legend, who is uh, if if anybody's been following I, NFL yeah. preseason, as soon as that guy comes in the game, you immediately live bet the Jets or take Jets second half because uh, that's as close to free money as po- I don't know. That guy's the preseason legend. So he is underrated because he's Canadian and was CFL. I take it. He played. A, he did play a playoff game, right, for Arizona a few oh, years yeah, ago. Yes. Yeah. I thought I thought he so, but no, I don't like, think he never underestimate like I, I will say this, especially having spent some time this week with like people from in football analytics departments and baseball analytics departments. Um like just the general and getting a state of the analytics in general in the sports world and like football is quite behind the times, right? Like there are a few good organizations, but like most organizations just like the people that are running them are just not really with it. Well, if, if Warren Sharp is still consulting for teams, then that tells you all the states of affairs exactly. for NFL analytics, right? Um, well, it, it tells you it's very outcome driven and sales pitch driven. Yep. I hear you. But not that anyone cares about this, but on the point of Chris Trevler, he's a third stringer playing against other third stringers. And when you're that much better than other third stringers, there's so like, no, do I think Strevler is going to be like a starting quarterback one day? Cause he's having huge preseason success in the NFL. No, but Mike white is struggling against other second stringers pretty regularly. So um, yeah, that quarterback, the whole quarterback situation for the jets is I could see that entire team spiraling out of control as well. Um it's that's not a good football team there. Do you remember last year when everybody was like Mike White is the savior of the Jets franchise? Because be, just because yeah. of a game and a half, right? Right. It's, it's funny how look, I was a artist formerly known as the Redskins fan at one point and thought like I've thought like nine different quarterbacks were the savior of the organization because of half of a uh, half of football. So I get it. There are some uh you might have studied this as well, Rufus, but there are some like um, you often notice this and there's something to it, but quarterbacks who come in mid game, uh, tend to find more success than they do in following, uh, starts and, and predominantly because the defense has planned for a completely different quarterback for the entire week. And now they're getting someone who they don't watch film on and, you know, it happens now then following week they have a bunch of film to study. And we kind of saw that with Mike white, right? He looked, he looked very, very good. Uh, defense didn't know what hit him, uh, hit them. And then all of a sudden just kind of goes off the rails. And we, we tend to see that in the NFL. A lot of people will often overreact and be like, how is this person not starting should be the starter. Um, I saw a lot of people calling for um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tyler Huntley with Baltimore. Like I saw some real hot takes in the, preseason about Tyler Huntley being better than Lamar Jackson. I'm like, okay. Are you serious? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. God, but, but that's 10, this, this, this happens. It's like, it's a phenomenon in the, in the NFL and uh, people tend to run with it. They, they don't really conceptualize anything or, or ask themselves, why is this happening? Um, and there's a lot of data over the years that would indicate that these younger quarterbacks, especially or backups when they come in tend to get worse and worse and worse as time goes on.
And, and it kind of makes sense that coaches are so guarded in situations where they don't know if a player is going to play. Right. Given what you're saying. Well, I, w- I would never. People are like, well, why, why would, you know, why aren't they being open to the media? Well, yeah. Listen, if, there's if they're different quarterbacks, then it's going to be a different game plan. And you want to be, I mean, you, there's a reason Bill Belichick says so little. Agreed. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still waiting for the team that is literally going to run a two quarterback offense. I don't know why we don't see it more in the NFL. We sometimes see it at the college level. I thought the 49ers were going to do that with Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo last year, which is just so difficult for a defense to game plan for because they're so violently different from one another. Um, Sean Payton. Sean Payton has done this. And you know what? Everybody gets on him. They're like, well, you know, Winston's going well. And then they put Taysom Hill in. He does this one play on second down and eight and does nothing. I, so they did that with Drew Brees as well. When Drew Brees was there, they would bring yeah. Taysom Hill in. I think the the big problem that people have with Taysom Hill is that um, is like people just, especially those who are more informed, don't like running the ball. Um, so, but there is an element of you know keeping the defense on their heels. I hate to use like the you know the narrativey stuff like that, but. I do think that there's a reason that Taysom Hill was somewhat successful when he came in in a lot of those plays. And um, anyways, I, I do I do think there's opportunity to do that, um, especially for teams that don't have like a bona fide. You're, you're not going to you're not going to say to Tom Brady like, oh, you know, listen, Tom, you know, we got Blaine Gabbard who's going to come in and play half the game here. Like that's obviously not going to happen. And it's not what I'm suggesting, but you know, Geno Smith and Drew Locke, like that's a situation where, okay, they both give you something different. You know, the opposing team is not going to game plan for both of them on a weekly basis. Maybe you try to do something uh, a little bit different there or unorthodox. What can you, what do you have to lose as a Seattle Seahawks? Right. Um, So there's a few teams in the league that I think can benefit from doing something like that. It's just, uh, we don't ever, we don't ever see it. True, but can I ask, I mean, look at what the Ravens did. Like, they have Tyler Huntley who who can run the ball a little bit, right? He's mobile. Like, if they had Joe Flacco as their backup quarterback, it would be a completely different system. And so, in a way, you could, I mean, I think there's an argument that having a similar backup quarterback to the starter makes it a more seamless transition. Sure, but it also... It's an argument. I think that's intentional. I think that's why... No, exactly. That's Of course it's intentional. That's what I'm kind of asking here. For sure. But so it also makes it a much easier for the defense as well. Right. Um, that's my counterpoint to that, but you could but easily run. Where, so Rob, this is where one of the, I think that we as non sports, like the, we never played the game, that kind of argument thing. I don't think we know how much time it takes to put in an entire offense and for a, the difference in quarterbacks and whether you're able to do that in any of effective way where you have two offenses that you're running that are so distinctly different that teams need to prepare for them differently. I think that's a valid point. Um, I, I, the only football I've played in my life is touch football. So I, I, I echo that sentiment. However, it has been done successfully at the college level. So if it can be done at the college level, I, I feel like there's, an opportunity for it um, at the pro level. Like really what, what, what does, no, that's a good point. Innovation definitely has come from the high school ranks to the college ranks and the college ranks to the pro ranks. Who is doing it at the college level successfully? No, oh, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, 
Florida, I guess. Sure. I mean, maybe I'm talking about over the course of the last few decades. I mean, I see it all the time. I don't watch a ton of college football, but I see lots of quarterbacks getting split. I don't know if it's the same. I guess I don't know. You you just have a lot of like, I mean, you have two four-star recruits or something and I don't know. Well, listen, I think a lot of it is a product of both quarterbacks being trash in a lot of the situations too, um, where it's like, okay, you're going to get a couple drives. And if you don't show me something, this guy's going to get a couple drives and so on and so forth. Cause a lot of it's player development at that level as well. Um, And, but I mean, I'm, I'm just trying, I'm, you know, Rufus kind of said it like, I'm, I'm just here for innovation in sports, right? Like look at where the NFL is now versus where it was 20 years ago. It's, it's a completely different game. It's some of the rules have changed. Yes. But it's very much a copycat league. Some teams figured out, okay, we have to start passing a lot more and eventually everybody's doing it. Then the wildcat comes out and everyone's running the wildcat and then they're running these screen passes and everything. It's, it's just one team that, can you know gain an edge and um I, you you do see that the in some cases the rest of the league is slow to react to it but anyways i've gone off on a tangent here i've just i i've always i've always thought it would be very difficult to game plan for two different styles of quarterback as a defense but point taken it might be equally as tough to run that type of offense or practice that type of offense over the course of the week can i ask a question for, of the both of you Yep. You just did. I did. Can I ask another one now? (laughs) Then there'll be a third, but you just did. (laughs) Sorry. Let's say like the three of us owned a football team. We could hire whoever we wanted as a GM, whoever as a coach. Let's say we weren't, we were, I don't know, an average organization. Like, do you think we'd have an advantage over other organizations? And I mean, like I, I, I tend to think that generally there's so little buy-in um, amongst, I don't want to say the rank and file, but like, but, but there's, you, you, you know, organizations bring in analytics people, but there are the old school people and there's just the old way of thinking about things. And there's so much of football is controlled by just a few people. Like that's just the reality of it. Like a few people, the agents for, you know, coaches, GMs, et cetera. They influence the coaching searches. Like if you had an organization and I think you're seeing this in the sense of like, I forget what's that Italian soccer team that, um, do you guys know that it's owned by, I mean, there's some owners and GMs of major sports teams in the U S that own an Italian soccer team. Now, obviously we have the Carly town Wagon United thing. I mean, if you have an organization on the same page, how much of a, like how, how revolutionary is that? Is my question. I would, um, I don't know the answer to that. Like selfishly, I would like to say, yes, I could do a better job. I really don't know what it would entail to run like an entire franchise or anything like that. You can hire the right people. That's my point. For sure. But hire people and vet them and make sure that they agree with your general philosophy they can be good at the specifics, but they align with your worldview, right? Oh, yeah. I, listen, I, I, w- I would give anything for an opportunity like that. Like, I would probably give 20 years of my life. I'm not even exaggerating. To be able to GM a, a pro sports franchise. 
just to see, because listen, I've, I've been here for years complaining about teams and coaches and so on and so forth. I do feel like it's way harder than it, it seems, but that would be like a lifelong dream. It'll never happen. However, I do think that I could do a better job than, than a lot of the teams. There are a lot of teams that are doing things right, for sure. Then you look at some franchises and you're like, how is this possible? Literally, how is it possible? You well, can probably- it's because of incentives. It's because the people that are in charge are incentivized to stay in charge. It's just like politics. Yep. It's, you know, that's how it is. And a GM had, you know, his incentive isn't for the team to win. His incentive, his or her incentive, although it's always his in the NFL, incentive is for to keep his job. Period. Yep. Right? Yep. You unfortunately see that and to, a lot. And, yep. and, and, if, and, and to win while getting the credit. If he wins and he does not get the credit, then that's not a win. So. All right. Now we're talking, this is like the deep money ball <laughs> phenomenon right now that I feel like people have talked about for quite a long time. Um, let's go back to this week and, and we want to get Rob out of here. You have a, you have a big launch tomorrow, right? So we want to get you out of here. Maybe sorry, like- sorry, Rob. And it's sorry okay. for joining late and sorry will, for the rain delay. When, and, whenever and I'm free, pictures, you know. when, whenever I'm free, I will join. I just have to wake up really early tomorrow. So that's the, or else I would, I would have waited it out. Rufus, any other day, like I felt like an asshole sitting here, like you're at the game and, you know, but it's, it's just tomorrow. Tomorrow, as people will find out, is going to be a very hectic day for me. So, no, Rob, so we're not allowed to talk about it. All I'm going to say, Rob, is that like at least you guys got, you know, some quality time in before I joined. So, we did get some. Quality. At least, there, at least there's a good part of the podcast. Okay, let's let's do some quick week one stuff, um, and then get out of here. We ten minutes uh, left on this, uh, Rob. Things you're down on in week one that you like? Uh, I played the Cleveland Browns money line today against Carolina. Uh, the lines come down, right? It was it was it was like four when it opened. It's now down to one and a half. So, assuming the money line moved quite a bit, also. Yeah, so like originally, a lot of people are going to be rooting for the Panthers in this game because in the summer, they grabbed the Panthers um, at when the possibility of Deshaun Watson getting suspended was there. So people immediately jumped on that. I'm going to be probably opposite everyone here in rooting for the Browns. You Like, I make the Browns a favorite in this game. Jacoby Brissett, I get it, but I think there's a pretty dominant edge on both lines of scrimmage for Cleveland. Um, provided their, their, their center now uh, with JC Treader retired, doesn't fumble the ball like three times, snapping it back to Jacoby Brissett. Um, it's trending towards being a rain game, which I think favors the Browns even more because I think they'll have one of the best running, uh, rushing attacks in the league this season. Uh, I think we, we do, we, I don't think we do tend to see more running in games where it rains, especially heavy rain. So that was one that stood out to me. Um, played that what else did we play today it was pretty quiet day i'll be completely honest with you week one and two is pretty quiet uh played back a little bit of the move on houston so i took some indie minus seven um those two games last year were indy laying 10 and 11 and a half against houston Uh, i think indy has upgraded quite a bit in the offseason both at quarterback and in their secondary i actually think they're pretty uh, legitimate dark horse Super Bowl contender. 
Um, I liked what I saw out of Matt Ryan in preseason, at least in terms of arm strength. A lot of people are very, and, and that, listen, this could go either way. He could completely be cooked and washed. Um, however, he didn't look like it in preseason. He's getting an offensive line, which I think is way better than people will give them credit for. Uh, took a big hit because Carson Wentz is back there and he holds the ball for like a million seconds before he gets rid of it. Uh, so I think that they've had some significant upgrades. I think the Texans are probably better than people give them credit for as well, but I'm not willing to say that this should be at a flat seven. So those are kind of the two today that stood out. Um, I'm strongly debating Arizona, but don't know. Don't know if I'm going to get there this week. Like now, all, like everyone's down in Arizona because of the cornerback situation for them, which is dire, I would say. Um, so, but like at this point, that's now accounted for in the number. Um, I think that was a was a right angle sports release this morning. The cornerback situation for who? The Cardinals. Okay. So people are on who? The- Kansas City moved okay. from uh, three and a half or four up to six today on the road at Arizona. I would have loved to have gotten the plus six. It's still there, Rufus. It's it's there at uh, literally every sports book. You can get a six right now. Um, I'd I'd be happy if you could possibly move it to five and a half so I don't have to debate taking the six later in the week either. That's kind of what I'm waiting for. So you like Kansas City? I like Kansas City? So you're saying, yeah, you want to take it? No, no, no. I'm saying I don't want to take the six. But if it's six, he's probably going to take it. Right, right. Wait, if it's minus six or plus six? Okay, Rufus. This couldn't have only been three beers. So why why would you want me to join us on this podcast right now? Because that's exactly what I'm doing. Why would you want me to take plus six? Because he doesn't want to bet it. He's like saying, like, okay, okay, numbers where he's going to bet it, but he doesn't want to. Got it, got it, got it. I do so. This is like I used to make fun of you for um, the the like all the weekly plays on the Jets, right? Which was fun to do. Most of those times, I also had an edge on the Jets, and I'm just like, yeah. no, like I'm not, I'm not gonna do this. There's, I, I think I'm, you know, and I do that a lot. So uh, probably get make, made fun of for that a lot, especially since NFL is such like a low volume sport, and they're like, oh, why do you only want to have this many plays? I mean, I'll play a, a lot, but. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to kind of wait that one out. I don't, I don't see a lot of uh, um, upside in uh, getting Arizona now. What about the Vikings? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest, Rob. I don't see a lot of upside in just playing NFL sides on weekends in general, or even yep. midweek. Like, yeah, yeah, you're in, completely entitled like, to that. You, you're you're talking to somebody who's put in very little time on is NFL handicapping this offseason. Yeah. I think we can both agree that the upside would be uh, how easy it is to get a large amount of money down on the game and not, I mean, uh, so, I mean, that that's really the upside. If I can, you know, no, turn a small ROI, it's a decent amount of capital. It is, but there's a ton of variance. And it's like, you know, if you want, you know, I mean, if I'm betting NFL sides on weekends, I'm hoping to return 1% probably. Like, obviously my theoretical is higher, but my theory, my theoretical has to be sky high to bet stuff then. I do very, almost no betting on Saturday or Sunday for NFL. Almost none. 
Sunday would typically be just reactionary to any injury stuff that's not factored into the line, or I have to really, really, really disagree with where something has went to. So um, typically Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, my busiest days of the week. And I would guess, Rob, also there's times when you think a line might have overmoved and it's going to come back for a reason. Yeah. Like that, and then that's why you'll be on it at that point. For sure. I mean, listen, there's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Also, like who originally moved the line? That that also is important to me. As much as some people don't look like that stuff doesn't matter to them, it does to me. Um, I'm willing to say that, okay, I mean, this person felt strongly enough about this game. Uh, you know, ultimately, I'm confident in what I do. If I feel it's a good bet, I'm going to bet it. But if I'm consistently on the opposite side of someone that I know is a winning NFL better, I'm going to start to question things a little bit or have like a little bit of hesitation. That's I think only natural in anything that you do. So um, all that plays a factor. I mean, it's, I put a lot of time in the NFL. People are like, they always question it. Everyone questions it. I mean, you, you two just now Rufus, but like, I don't know. I, I love it. Like yeah, I, I didn't question it. Yeah. I, I just question your time. Like you've Rob, you spend so much more time on NFL than I do. Like right. I have in recent years, I've gone the route, like, let's scale up the golf. Let's scale up what I'm really good at. Yep. Because Mark, I, I fundamentally believe markets tend toward efficiency and I'm not going to be able to be good at absolutely everything. I only have a limited amount of time. And so that's been my priority. And I think it's been the right decision for me, but it's so hard to not bet the NFL too. And I still think I probably have an edge early week. Right, but right. do I think I have an edge on Saturday and Sunday? No, definitely not. I do. Um, I do my Sunday morning video every week. Shameless plug. I'll be doing that again. Big announcement coming tomorrow for anyone listening. Um, 11 a.m. Sundays. I only pick against Chris Pinnacle or Circle Lines and have for the last two years to see if I can turn a profit at that time. I believe you I have, have, haven't you? You yeah, have. it's like a two and a half percent ROI, but it's it's so tough, man. It's really yeah. very difficult to do that in the morning. And yeah. And can I say credit to you for like, I mean, any, if it was somebody else, they would have been like touting this, like from the rooftops, but credit to you, like for when your picks have done well on Sunday saying, Hey, I'm running hot. Like this <laughs> is, don't expect this to continue. Like Rob, you were a very, very honest guy. I do start that video every week by saying that I actually believe I'm coin flipping at this time. Like, I, I don't know that I, maybe if I could do this for like five to 10 years and build up enough of a sample on Sunday mornings where I'm, I'm turning an ROI, a, a positive ROI, I'll be comfortable with it. But yeah, that's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. I just, I just love the NFL. I, I mean, I think that's a contributing factor. I think you too, you love golf as well, Rufus, and that makes it easier in my opinion to work on the sport like work on this stuff more regularly. I don't it, know if you could. It, it, for me, it's, it's like a, a, it's become a virtuous cycle. Like I love golf. I, I loved betting on golf originally, which made me play more golf, which made me bet, love betting golf more, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say it's hard. Like, I mean, look, I think we all grew up watching football every Sunday, right? Yep. Jeff. I did at least. Absolutely. My dad yeah. used to, my dad used to come downstairs while I was watching football and he'd tell me that sports is never going to get me anywhere in life and to read a book. 
but I can't like I don't I don't think you guys can imagine like I can't imagine not watching football on a Sunday. And the thing is, if I feel like if I'm not, like if I wasn't betting on football on a Sunday, I probably wouldn't. You know, I feel like I need that in a way to watch it now. I agree. What does that sound? Sadly, I I agree. Like sadly, like it is sad that I've gotten to that place. But I'm also a team formerly known as the Washington Redskins fan. You, although you, could, coming, you could just say Washington Commanders now. No, it, that is the worst team name ever. The Commies. Like any other name would have been better. Any name, like Red Hawks, Red anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could even Washington been. Reds. You want to be the Commies? Be the Washington Reds. I I prefer that. But uh, all right. Jeff, you said what was it? Packers Vikings. I want I to get to the game. Packers Vikings. This one's fascinating to me. Um, the t- do you see the total in this game this week? It got bet all the way down to like 46 and then finally bet back up to 47. I think there was like an early move a few weeks ago on the total down from uh 50. So uh I, I probably will settle right in around 47 with that being a key number. But um I like both teams. I think relative to market, which is weird because they're in the same division, but I do think we talked about it earlier. I think addition by subtraction for the Vikings in terms of uh, coaching, I think their defense is a lot better than it'll get credit for. Um, Cornerback is a concern front seven, I think has like pretty high ceiling this year. Uh, Green Bay. It's the same stuff every year. Everybody is like, Packers stink. They, I don't want to say that people say the Packers stink, but this is the year they're going to fall off because they won so many close games last year. How many times have been people been talking about the Packers record in close games? They win a lot of close games every year, people, because they have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. Hate to break it to you, but kind of matters. And I just, you know, yeah, they don't have the receiving core that they have had in past years. I think they have a good defense. I think they have Aaron Rodgers. I think that's more than enough to be very competitive in the NFL. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm kind of waiting to see, like, you know, I make this game a pick em, So I lean towards the Vikings. It's just never going to get into a playable range. Like whenever you get these numbers that are in this one, two type of range, it's very hard to, to get to a number that is of value. All right, last one, and then we'll let you go. The battle of Los Angeles Chargers versus the L.A. Raiders, or the L- Las Vegas Raiders, sorry. LA, what's wrong with you, Jeff? L.A. Chargers, Las Vegas Raiders. It's just very confusing. What would you do for home field advantage in this game? I'd still give it to the Chargers. They get to sleep in their beds. Yeah, assuming it's also I mean, week one. Remember, it's week one as well, which it, it I think is different than flying or traveling midseason. Everybody's yeah. Wait, and can I ask what way do you think are teams getting there earlier or later? Uh, so I like I just think that there's a a more of a drain. Uh, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of a difference. Somebody's gonna nitpick this and pick it apart. But I think towards the end of the season, the not sleeping in your bed thing matters a little bit more. But I, I mean, that, this is what it comes down. This is, it's extremely difficult because um, I, I just think it's, it's so hard to model the home field in the Chargers games relative to everyone else. They are, they, they can't, they have to use a silent count 
on on offense in their home stadium. Like, I think that's overblown. I'm going to say that. Like, I, I don't. Rob, have you been to a a game there? No. I've been to a Chargers game there against yep. the Chiefs, and yep. I didn't. Chiefs is very I, I different than the Raiders fan base, I would say, for a Chargers yeah, game. Yeah, no, but I mean, Chiefs, the Chiefs travel well. The Chiefs are a better team than the Raiders. Yep. Like, I don't know. So I was going to say that I like the Raiders in this game, plus the three, plus 105. The typical, um, the typical uh, narrative this week is going to be the Chargers play the Chiefs on week two Thursday night football, if you guys don't know. Um, so that's going to be the, I know this is a divisional a game. Look, oh wait, are we going to get the like, whole, we're going like, to get the look ahead. look ahead game thing. Oh yeah. Here? How yeah. much, how much have the chargers actually been preparing for the Raiders when they have such a big game on deck in week two? Like people are going to actually say that despite the fact that the Raiders eliminated the chargers from the playoffs in the final week of the season last year. Uh, like you don't think the chargers want to play them and beat them. Uh, I, I, but that will be the, uh, talking point this week. Um, I'm, I don't like the Raiders. Um, this is a recurring theme though, for me and my model, uh, probably because, uh, I mean, they're, they are probably bottom five in the league in the secondary and on the offensive line, which I think is, a horrible recipe for success nowadays. With that said, if they run an offense where it's get the ball out of cars hand quickly, which they can do because they have Adams, they have Renfro, they have guys that can win off the line of scrimmage, then the Raiders will be, will be solid, but it's got to be like a quick passing offense. If he's going to sit back in the pocket and let routes develop, I think especially like the chargers D line is going to, is going to kill them. So they do, they do have a new coach that typically does master the short passing game, if we can remember correctly, and does agreed. understand yep. over some offensive line weaknesses. Yeah, um, it's 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 lot it's likely not a game that I'm involved with, but um, yeah, McDaniel's and Lombardi there. I think they can they can pull that off effectively. Just All not right. high in the Raiders. Yep. Well, thanks for joining us, Rob. We'll let you get to bed and. Uh, wish you good luck in this mysterious thing that's happening tomorrow um, and wish you luck and best of luck in week one. And we'll have you again on when we have a little bit more time to dive into some of these things. Cause we got into some interesting stuff. For sure. Let, we'll, we'll, as soon as the Orioles are officially eliminated from the playoffs in a few weeks, then I'll, I'll be happy to do another one. Rufus. Hi, Rob.